This is the Stanley Avenue Church of Christ. We're reading through Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 8. We're going to read that chapter and then make our thoughts uh, from there. I'm going to read from the NET Bible. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the domestic animals that were with him on the ark. God caused a wind to blow over the earth, and the waters receded. The fountains of the deep and the floodgates of heaven were closed, and the rain stopped falling from the sky. The waters kept receding steadily from the earth, so that they had gone down by the end of 150 days. And on the seventeenth day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on one of the mountains of Ararat. The waters kept on receding until the tenth month. On the first day of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains became visible. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark, and he sent out a raven. It kept flying back and forth until the waters had dried up on the earth. Then Noah sent out a dove to see if the waters had receded receded from the surface of the ground. The dove could not find a resting place for its feet, because the water still covered the surface of the entire earth. And so it returned to Noah in the ark. He stretched out his hand and took the dove and brought it back in the ark. He waited seven more days and then sent out the dove again from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there was a freshly plucked olive leaf from its beak. Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. He waited another seven days and sent the dove out again, but it did not return this time. In Noah's six hundredth and first year, in the first day of the first month, the waters had dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the cover from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. And by the twenty-seventh day of the second month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah, said, Come out of the ark, you, your wife, your sons, your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you all the living creatures that are with you. Bring out every living thing, including the birds, the animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let them increase and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Noah went out along with his sons, his wife, his sons' wives, Every living creature, every creeping thing, every bird, and everything that moves on the earth went out of the ark in their groups. Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took some from every clean animal and clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, even though the inclination of their minds is evil. From childhood on, I will never again destroy everything that lives as I have done. While the earth continues to exist, planting time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will not cease. This is the conclusion to the flood. The waters now go down, and Noah and the rest can then get off. I like the way verse 1 reads, but then God remembered Noah and the wild animals. Well, he had never really forgotten them. But that phrase, to remember, is often used, especially in the sake of God, often used to think about how he thinks about them, and he is going to take specific action to help and to save. This is very similar, and the Israelites, I think, would have definitely noticed this, uh, 
given the correlation to where it says that God remembered Israel in Egypt crying out to God. In a similar way, God remembered Noah and the others. And notice just how long of a period they've been on the ark. 150 days is one of the consistent markers. When we get to the end, that it's in his uh, 601st uh, year, in the first day of the month, or and then the second uh, month as well. Um, it's been a year uh, from the time that they got on the ark. It's been a long time. In a very similar way, the Israelites had been in Egypt for a long time, years and years, far longer than any of us might be tempted to think is reasonable. But God remembered them. And just as God remembered Noah, God remembered Israel as well. And he would bring them out of, of Egypt uh, by the similar process of letting them part or go through the waters, and then they as well would come to rest at a mountain. The Israelites would rest at Mount Sinai, Noah would rest at uh, one of the mountains of Ararat. And at the end of the day, Noah would be offering sacrifices on the altar uh, to God, and uh, there would be that uh, special allotment for the clean animals. Likewise, when God gives the law to the Israelites, they would also be able to then offer sacrifices according to the clean animals specified to them at the base of uh, the Mount Sinai as well. So a lot of, a lot of parallels still uh, to the way the Israelites have come out of the Exodus. We have this period in verse uh, 6, at the end of 40 days, he opened the window. Remember that Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days, uh, and the people panicked uh, because he hadn't come back to them yet. You got um, a similar time period, actually. Uh, it's difficult to relate this exactly, but you remember that the first day of uh, the new year for Israelites was kind of established just before they left, that God began a new year, a new calendar year for the Israelites. And then it was the first month on the 14th day that they would offer Passover, and that was the day that they left Egypt. They were seven days in getting to uh, the waters of the Red Sea, and then there were another allotment of time, uh, a couple months I think it was, to actually get to Mount Sinai. But we're talking within a very similar time frame that the Israelites are um, uh, being taken out of, of the Exodus process and entering into the wilderness and approaching the mountain is a very similar time frame to Noah's years. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily suggest that Noah's years are the same as the, uh, the new years regulated by God uh, with the Exodus, but it's going to invoke a very similar thoughts. Uh, that when they see these concept of the first month and, and the second month, it's they're going to think about the, the Passover that they've just had. They're going to think about their own walking out of Egypt and towards their mountain also. And then he uh, sends out the, the birds. The, uh, the idea about the different birds, I don't think it's meant to be too complicated, but the raven is often uh, symbolized by places of of wilderness, a place where it's very hard to inhabit. Remember when Elijah uh, was out in the wilderness and God would use the ravens to bring him his food? He was out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, no regular life was sustainable in that kind of an environment, and ravens might be in that location. So for the sending out this raven, he's basically taking this, this kind of first step into saying, well, is it even good enough for them? And it is, eventually. So then he waits periods of seven days at a time, um, again, symbolic here. 
and he sends out the dove, and the dove is a, is a lot more of a, a delicate creature, a lot more feeble, needs a little bit more uh, sustainable environment in order to survive, and so he waits until a point in time in which it's good enough for the doves, and that indicates to him that it's, it's good enough for them as well. It is interesting that he takes the covers off the Ark, that for whatever reason, he chooses not just to, um, to look out the window and to see himself whether or not things have dried up. He relies on the messengers here of these birds. Um, maybe, my, my impression is simply that maybe where they are on the mountain, you, you can't always see and take a look around at the rest of the valleys and the lands below you. Uh, so, you know, given the the monumental changes that have happened over Earth, he, even if he was to look out the window, he probably couldn't really see what he would need to see uh, in order to, uh, to know whether or not the land had dried up. But he does take the cover off the top of the Ark. Maybe that's one and the same as the window that he fixed uh, back when he created it. It's hard to know exactly what that would have been like. Um, but this idea of taking off the roof, I, I think, might invoke in the Israelites' mind the same similar concept that when Moses went up on the mountain, and, and again, this is uh, connected to uh, even this 40-day this period in verse 6 where he opens the window, that, that Moses was also able to take a glimpse up into the heavens. And when God revealed the blueprints for the tabernacle, he made it according to the pattern shown to him. So Moses was able to look into the heavens and see this pattern. And, and right here, um, Noah is able to open the window or, or then later to take the top off and to glimpse out and up. Um, and God is guiding him through this process, of course. Why is it a dove? What's the symbolism behind a dove? Why not any other animal? That's kind of hard to know. It is fascinating, however, that... God chooses to use the image of a dove at the baptism of Jesus. We know, according to uh, 1 Peter 3, that what Noah has just experienced is a baptism. Um, and then we also see then at the baptism of Jesus, which was itself supposed to mirror the exodus of the Israelites, a dove comes down uh, upon Jesus and the Spirit of God alights on him. So we've got very similar crossovers to the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, they themselves going over the waters. Um, now this dove is this messenger for life and rehabilitation and rejuvenation, and the Holy Spirit represents very similar things in the lives of the Christian, and then again in the new heavens and the new earth. So uh, it is interesting that God connects that that symbolism, that imagery together. We, we're, we are even supposed to see that this story mirrors our own redemption as we look to God for a renewal, as we are waiting patiently until he sees fit to let us go. Uh, so, you know, during this process, we could say, well, technically Noah was already saved. Technically, God had already destroyed. Technically, God had already begun to remake the new heavens and, and the new earth, but it wasn't quite right. The time wasn't right yet for him to come out. Only when in verse 15, 16, God calls him to come out. That's the time in which, in which it's right uh, to come out. And Noah's waiting for that call in a very similar way. God has begun the renewal process, the rejuvenation process with our own very souls and spirits. And we are living out parts of that renewal while we're here. 
but we're still waiting for God's call. We're still waiting for the final renewal to take place. And until we're doing it, we are sending out prayers to God. He has given us portions of his spirit to continue to give us hope and promise um, that God remembers us. Remember that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a pledge, a down payment of our inheritance. Uh, in, a, in a similar way, God is giving Noah uh, pieces of hope through this dove until he comes and he calls them to come out of the ark. So when the time finally comes, they all exit the ark. Noah builds an altar to God and he sacrifices to him. One might be tempted to say, well, there's not that many of these animals left. We need to preserve them. Otherwise, they might go extinct. Well, God had already provided for that by letting him take that symbolic seven number onto the ark to begin with. And so now he's going to give to God what he is due. God smells the soothing aroma. Again, the, the altars, uh, the sacrifices, even the incense the Israelites would have picked up on as, as being a very important part of their worship and it was supposed to be a soothing aroma to God to appease his anger, uh, to remind them. But notice that this is not an, a wicked person who's trying to just do away with his sins. This is a righteous person that God is listening to. In a similar way, God expects the Israelites to live a righteous life. And then as part of their repentance, yes, they would be offering sacrifices, but also as part of their thanksgiving that they can be a saved people of God. They would be willingly offering these sacrifices to God, like Noah was here. And God listens to the sacrifice, listens to the prayers, listens to the offerings and the incense and the gifts of his righteous people, and uh, it appeases him, and it pleases him in many ways. And God makes this promise not to destroy things, as he has done, and the beginning of 9 is going to elaborate more on that covenant, but right here, he's simply mentioning that uh, things on earth are going to continue to go about like they have always been. And I think there's an implication that, yes, there will be a final point at which you put a stop to it. Uh, but this particular scenario is not going to happen again. And Peter does mention that in uh, first, uh, Second Peter chapter 3. He mentions that uh, the, the flood account isn't going to be exactly the same. Again, but there will be a judgment. That judgment will be by fire instead of by flood. Uh, it will be even more universal, more impacting, more um, eternal in that sense. So we shouldn't have to uh, expect that uh, there's going to be any global uh, destruction scenarios up until the time of the final judgment. Uh, we don't need to worry about those things. Instead, we trust God, we do our best with what we have available to us, we offer the sacrifices of praise to God, we beg Him for mercy, we beg Him for a renewal spirit, and we wait for Him to choose the time of the final coming and the remaking of the heavens and the earth. <laughs>